guys and welcome back to the Rise Podcast. I'm Michaela and I'm Nicole. And this week we are sitting down with Dana Weatherell. And Dana is actually Nicole's best friend. So I'll actually let Nicole talk a little bit more about Dana because Dana was a lot of fun to talk to, but and I want to be her best friend. So Nicole's pretty lucky to have her as a best friend. She seems awesome. Yeah, so Dana has a really interesting story, which is why I thought she would be perfect for this podcast. She's a non-pro rider. She competes. Um, she does the NRHA now, but she grew up competing on the AQHA circuit. We did the all-around events together. That's how we became friends. And I actually moved in with her and her husband, Wes, um, when I was 18. I moved to Oklahoma, you know, to go to Oklahoma State um, for university. And they took me in under their wing because I had nowhere to go. Um, my family had sold my horses back home. I really didn't want to go home and not have any horses to show or to ride. And they just, they were like, Hey, just come move in with us. You can ride whatever we have in the barn, you know, and Wes was a huge mentor to me. But, um, the thing that makes Dana's story really interesting is that she got sick a few years after I moved in. I want to say like maybe a year or two. Um, and she got so sick to the point to where she couldn't walk to the bathroom. She couldn't wash her own hair. I mean, she couldn't, you know, she, she absolutely could not, you know, cook or clean or do anything that she would have normally done in her, you know, in her life. And so that was a really huge deal. And they, you know, the doctors told her that she was never going to ride again. They said that it was going to be a miracle if she could, you know, lift anything other than five pounds. She would need assistance walking for the rest of her life. And mind you, she was um, in her late 30s when she got this diagnosis. So that's not that old. Um, you know, I'm in my 30s right now and I couldn't imagine my whole life changing because of something like that. Because I like to think that I'm still pretty young and healthy. Um so, yeah, she's just I, I think it's a really inspiring story for people who might be struggling with medical issues or, you know, their own autoimmune disease, which is what Dana has. Um, and, you know, I think uh, I think she has a lot of great advice for how to battle um, disease and um, be able to do the things you love. And then we also will touch a little bit on her recent NRHA career, and she's having so much fun learning that. Yeah, yeah, I think this is the ultimate episode to go out for Thanksgiving week because she's so thankful to have her health and she really emphasizes, you know, somebody always has it worse than you have it. So you should appreciate what you do have. So, I mean, Thanksgiving week is the best time to launch this episode because it's heartwarming and it makes you thankful for what you have because I'm not sick by any means, but you know, listening to Dana talk, I was able to appreciate what I do have and appreciate the health that I have. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, Thanksgiving is this week. Um, and you're so right. It, it's the perfect Thanksgiving episode because it really makes you realize how thankful you should be for your health and for your support team, because Dana is the first one to admit that she could have never gotten healthy without the support of her friends and family who, you know, whether it was finding her, her doctor in California or like me, where I was having to carry her into hospitals because she couldn't walk. Um, you know, it was, uh, you're, you're right. It, it's a huge thankful. It's, it's a huge Thanksgiving episode for sure. You're, you really figure out you're thankful for. Yeah, and kind of spinning off of the Thanksgiving, 
our sister podcast, the Ask Annie podcast that is hosted on Horse and Rider and Beyond the Saddle podcast, which is also a part of the Equine Network, teamed up to do a Give Thanks episode for their podcast. And they reached out to quite a few people and everybody just gives little snippets of what they are thankful for. So we encourage you guys to go and listen to that episode so you can hear what everybody is thankful for. There's everything from thanking somebody's first pony to thanking their husband to thanking horse trainers. I know one of my friends, my best friend, actually shared her thanks for a trainer of hers that had passed away. And anytime she talks about her trainer, I I can cry because she had such a special relationship. So it's just that time of year where you just want to give thanks to everybody who makes it possible to do what you do with your horses. And especially in 2020, because 2020 has been rough. So being able to have horses in 2020 brings a lot of light to a lot of us. I know myself for sure. Yeah. And you should, like Michaela said, the Ask Annie podcast is hosted on our website. So you should be able to find it on horseandrider.com or you can search for it wherever you guys listen to podcasts. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a great episode. And I think Annie and Katie have done something like that in the past where they've taken little snippets of people leaving them messages and it was really cool. So I have no doubt that this one's just as cool. And yeah, it's, it's just really nice to hear how appreciative people are. And like you said, 2020 has been a really rough year for a lot of people you know, myself included, my mom is a nurse and she lives out of state and I probably won't get to see her for the holidays because she is working nonstop in the hospital. And, you know, it's just not safe for people to travel. You know, she just doesn't feel safe traveling right now. So, um, you know, I, I don't get to see my family this year and it's, you know, it's not, it's not fun, but yeah, it just reminds you that you got to be thankful for everybody that you have with you. Yeah, so happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. And with that, we only have one more episode of this season following this episode of the Ride Podcast. So we will be taking a break for the holidays and we will be resuming in February. So we have one more episode following this with Dr. Barb Crab, which is a very fun and informative episode that Nicole and I are very excited to share with you guys. Yeah. And, um, like Michaela said, we're going to take off a little time to enjoy our holidays, catch up on some stuff. Um, we have a lot of cool things coming through, uh, horse and rider, whether it's the website, uh, the magazine, you know, we're, we're kicking off the 2021 edit calendar. So I'm really excited to bring you guys that, uh, Michaela and I have been time stamping videos like crazy to get out some new horse and rider on demand content. So there's some of that to look forward to. And of course, we're, we're going to take this time to establish even more guests to bring on to this show and bring you guys, you know, the episodes that you want to hear. So as always, please send us um, comments or if you have somebody that you have that, you know, that has a really inspiring story, you know, send us an email at horse and rider at aimmedia.com because we love talking to everybody. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a professional or, you know, any of that. We just, we love hearing people, stories of people who are living their best horse life. Yeah. And if you have thoughts on the podcast itself, we have a link to a survey in our podcast notes. So be sure to go take our survey so we can format our podcast to fit what you guys want to listen to. We'll go, let's go over some current events really quick. I know um, you have quite a bit that you could probably talk about because you just got back from your Texas trip. 
yeah, that was a whirlwind of a week. Um, Competition-wise, I did not do hot, but it was so much fun to be involved in a lot of inaugural events and just, you know, bucket list events for me as a barrel racer. So I went to the WCRA's Women's Rodeo World Championship first. That was held at the Will Rogers Coliseum in Fort Worth. And it was just a lot of fun to be around all of those girls that I looked up to for all of these years. So I made it through um, in the leaderboard, which is a nomination format. And then they also had a way to get into the event by paying an entry fee. So like I said, I didn't do great, but just being there amongst all of those people that I looked up to for years was a lot of fun. And then my really good friend, Randy Prindle, she actually won a lot of money through the event and made it to AT&T Stadium where they wore the um, they were the intermission event during the PBR World Finals. So that was really cool to watch her on TV. Yeah, super cool. I was fangirling over one of my own friends. Um, and then from there, we went to Waco, Texas, where we did the WPRA finals. And once again, I was competing against all of those girls who I had looked up to for all of those years. It was just one of those events that I probably wouldn't have gone to had I not already been in Texas, just because it's something that I know I'm qualified to be at all of these events, but sometimes I get there and I get so nervous that I forget how to ride and I I just don't ride my horse the way that she needs to be ridden. And actually I borrowed a friend's horse for the WPRA finals and jump riding a horse at a huge event. Um, probably not the wisest decision to make as a barrel racer, but um, it was a lot of fun to ride my friend's horse and just to spend some time with her um, riding and doing all of these things together as barrel racers because she was excited to watch her horse compete against all of those professional level horses. And then the last event that I went to was probably the most epic event, which is the cowgirl gathering. And I ran at three and 4 AM in the morning on Monday morning when the barrel race started at 12 PM on Sunday. Um, they had over 1,100, 1,200 barrel racers that ran. So they started at 12 p.m., like I said, and they didn't get done running barrel racers until 7.45 a.m. on Monday. And they didn't take any breaks, like, and it ran really smooth. They didn't have any tractor problems, no accidents, like, everything went as smooth as possible. And that's how long the barrel race took. And then I ran, unsaddled my horse, let him have a break for a moment loaded up in the trailer and headed back home. I was so tired, but it was, it's definitely a memory that a lot of barrel races are excited to have because it's not often that you're in a barrel race that large. That's like a one day show. And then to run, be able to be like, ah, oh, yeah, ha ha. I ran at 2 AM. I ran at 6 AM. And they had a lot of money that you could win too. And once again, I did not have a good week in Texas, but just being able to have all of these memories is, is a lot of fun. Well, and what Michaela's not saying is that, you know, she's still very young and has a lot of barrel racing career left in her and her horse is, is still fairly, I don't want to say new because Dee Dee is obviously a very experienced barrel horse, but she hasn't been racing for that long. So you guys have plenty of time to go back again and redeem yourself. So it, it is really cool. I was really excited to hear 
about Michaela's adventures because I don't come from the rodeo world. I don't come from the barrel racing world. I don't know a lot about it. My specialty lays in the performance arena with the reining, the cow horse, the all around stuff. Um, and so it was really cool to hear about these events that Michaela was in. And I'm quite jealous with the amount of money that you guys can win because I'm over here just excited that I made back some of my money to pay an entry fee. Yeah, that's what's really cool about the barrel racing and some of the rodeo events is that you pay your entry fee and most of the time they're not that large. I mean, you can pay larger entry fees, but you can pay a fairly small entry fee and win a ton of money. The barrel racing industry is so awesome in that and then I mean going to Texas and I know Nicole and I have had this conversation a lot how it's funny that barrel racers are like oh well I'm going to Texas so I'm going to hit you know seven barrel races in a week because I have that opportunity whereas the performance horse industry is more you plan your schedule you go to those events and you compete but that's kind of what I love about the barrel racing is that you know, you can kind of fly by the seat of your pants and have fun and win a lot of money. And yeah, it's awesome. But yeah. Um, it's really cool that you're able to, to add something like that to your resume, but, um, let's jump into this interview because I really think that you guys are going to love it and we could probably talk about ourselves all day, but I know that you guys are really here to, to listen to Dana's story. So let's go on into that now. Hey guys, uh, we are back with another episode, and today we are here with Dana Weatherell, who is a world champion rider, um, but she recently switched over to the reigning, but um, the story that we really want to tell is that Dana came back from a autoimmune disease that her doctors had said that she would never ride again, and not only did she come back to ride, she won a world championship, now she's competing in the reigning, and she's she kind of changed her motto in life. Um, you know, to do the things that you really want to do because life is too short. So thank you so much for coming on here and talking with us, Dana. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I should also mention, and it's probably no surprise to a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, because I talk about Wes Weatherell, your husband, a lot, and how he's like a mentor to me and like a father figure. So it's, I, I think it's probably easy to say that Dana is one of my best friends, um, but we wanted to bring her on because we do love to share the stories of just people living their best horse life. And I truly think that you are one of those people that are living their best horse life right now. I think right now I definitely am. So let's quickly go back a little bit. You grew up showing, you did the Appaloosa stuff, and then you transitioned to the quarter horse stuff, which is how we met is because we had both been riding at the same barn, but um, I, when I was 18, Wes and Dana kind of took me in. I always joke and say that I was a stray because I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have any horses at home and they just kind of took me in and I never left, but that was around the time that you started getting really sick. Can you kind of, ex I can, it's been so long, but can you explain kind of what happened? It kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, that was 2010, but it actually probably started 2009. I was um, on the all around circuit pretty hard. I think you went to a lot of those shows with me. And I remember being out at sun circuit, which was in January then. And I just was, I had no energy. I didn't feel good. I just, 
I didn't feel like I could ride very well, um, had trouble running in the showmanship and just kind of chalked it up to long hours at the horse show and being on the road and didn't really think anything of it. So I came home from that show. It was February, like early February, and it, it was just kind of a downward spiral. Um, my back hurt, all my muscles hurt. I just had no energy. And again, not listening to my body, just kind of chalked it up to doing too much and too many shows and kind of just kept pushing on and trying to ride until uh, my body said, uh, time out, girl. <laughs> and then in April, well, it would have been the end of March. The end of March, I got really sick um, to the point where I really couldn't get out of bed. I was so fatigued. And of course, the first person I called for medical advice was our veterinarian, because who else would you call when, you, when you're sick and can't get out of bed? So my veterinarian's wife and I were really good friends, and she came by to see me one night. And by this time, I had these great big, huge black circles under my eyes and really couldn't, I wasn't eating, I, I didn't do much of anything. And she opened the door and she looked at me and she's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I, I think I threw my back out. Um, I'm just really sore, really tired. I must have the flu. And her husband, who's the vet, he uh, came by the next day and he said, uh, you need to go to the emergency room immediately. And I have a client who is the head of the ER, you know, one of the hospitals here in town. So we went in there and they... Um, we're pretty much convinced that I had just ran a marathon because my muscle enzymes were so high. Like my muscles were just breaking down at a, like a crazy rate. And I tried to tell them, I definitely did not run a marathon. I don't run at all. Um, my husband tried to tell them that I don't run. So they did a bunch of tests. Didn't really give me any answers, but they admitted me to the hospital. And by that time, um, well, by that time, I couldn't get out of bed on my own. Um, I had to have help. Um, it was really scary because nobody knew what was going on, and it kind of hit, I say suddenly. It was a couple-of-month progression, but when it really was disabling, it was within a couple of days period. So in the hospital, they ran tests for like five or six days, no answers. Um, they sent me to a rheumatologist and she is the one who diagnosed me with dermatomyositis, which is actually where your body just attacks your, your muscle tissue. So basically my body had just eaten all of my muscle and I was just left at like with fat, <laughs> fat and bone. So I was about probably 90 pounds at that point. Yeah. I, I, the the first time it really hit me that you got really sick was when um, a customer had left their horse tied up at the barn and needed to have, you know, he was too hot to wear a blanket yet. So you were by yourself because Wes was going to get hay. I was in school about an hour and a half away. And I just remember you calling me or texting me and saying, like, I had to go put this blanket on this horse and I could barely get myself off the couch and go do it. And, you know, that was really crazy because you've always been, you know, sometimes I've known Dana since I was 12, 11, 12, like since I was a kid and you were always so active and I mean, you do everything, you know, your husband has a training program. So you're helping clean stalls, water, sweep the aisle away, you know, all the things that horse trainers, wives have to 
you on top of their busy show schedule. And then all of a sudden you're too weak to get off the couch and go blanket a horse. Yeah. When it, when it really hit, I couldn't, the hardest thing was lifting my arms up. Like I couldn't dry my hair with a hairdryer or really brush my hair. Washing it was difficult. Anything that involved raising my arms like above anywhere above my shoulders was extremely difficult. And by the time I did get out of the hospital, I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. And I remember um, being back at home. And <laughs> if I wanted to like use my computer, I'd have to wait for Wes to come set it on my lap. And then he would, you know, take it off my lap because I wasn't strong enough to move it. And that's how I remember you would come down and study and <laughs> sit in the chair beside me and basically <laughs> hand me things or take things away for me or help me get up or down or I mean, I was abandoned in the bathroom once and <laughs> couldn't get back to the couch. <laughs> it was scary. So how long of a time period were you feeling like this in total, I guess? Um, from when I was pretty much wheelchair bound would have been, I remember it was April 1st. Um, April 1st until, oh, late summer. Um, I went to the rheumatologist after she diagnosed me, they put me on a bunch of steroids um, and a cancer, like a chemo drug. And those drugs um, definitely helped my autoimmune disease um, to the point that I could get up and around a little bit. I wasn't um, in a wheelchair all the time. I mean, I could get, at this point, I just wanted to be functional and be able to take care of myself. And by take care of myself, I meant like get myself dressed, um, take a shower on my own. You know, she told me that I would never have good balance. And if I wanted to like walk out and get the mail, I would need assistance um, not to do anything like that by myself. And I would never have enough core strength to sit on a horse. And she told me at that time, um, probably the maximum amount of weight I'd ever be able to lift is five pounds. So she was um, really big on just making lifestyle choices to adjust to inability to do things, basically. You know, she's like, you're, you're just going to have to figure out how to live by only lifting this much weight, you know, walking in short periods of time. I'm just not overextending myself, basically. And, you know, when you get that kind of news at first, it was, okay, but you mean I, I might get a little bit better. And that's all, that was really all I cared about was I could take care of myself and not have to wait on someone to help me get up and down. So I was thinking that was a win, you know, coming from, I'd never had my blood taken until I was in the ER that day. I was 38. I mean, I never went to the doctor for anything. I broke my collarbone once in grade school. I didn't go to the doctor for a week. I mean, I just did not go to the doctor. I don't like doctors. I'm petrified of them. So I was what I would say completely 100% healthy to 100% dehabilitated. So once she put me on all of these um, drugs, I did get, you know, some strength back. I was able to, you know, walk around the house. I, at that point, could go out to the barn and sit in a chair for a while. And I was pretty happy. I was like, this is, this is a huge accomplishment. I've, I've really... I'm going to live basically, I guess would have been my only goal at that point. I'm going to live. I'm going to be able to do a few things. Things could be worse. And that's always, I guess, kind of been my attitude about stuff. You know, there's always someone in a worse position. So I shouldn't really complain about 
being knocked down a little bit. Well, my drugs um, that I was taking started having really bad effects on my stomach. And I got to where I couldn't eat. Everything I ate made me sick. And we go back to appointments at the rheumatologist. Many of those Nicole took me to. And she always just said, it's not the drugs. It's not the drugs. It's something else going on. You're allergic to something I'm giving you. Or So this went on for a couple of more months. And I ended up weighing probably 80 pounds by the time I went to a colonoscopy. And he basically confirmed that I had ulcers. And he decided that it was caused from all the medications. So... The day I was talking to him, this would have been November, he said, you need to decide if you want to deal with your disease and take these drugs, or if you want to not take the drugs and, you know, be able to eat. And I looked at him and I'm like, okay, well, those two options pretty much both end in death. Because I, I mean, my bones were sticking out of my back. I was so skinny and couldn't, I mean, couldn't eat. So then I was basically weak just from complete lack of nutrition. And when he said that, I was just like, whoa, this is, this is not good. I mean, my, my reality right now is um, there's just not a good end to this. And this is a lot more serious than I thought because you can't stay on steroids and chemo drugs, you know, for life. It's just not sustaining. And I basically came to the conclusion at that point that doctors only treat symptoms. They don't try to cure you. And I had another really good friend that I showed horses with. Um, her name is Jill Newcomb. She still does the trail and all around. And she lives um, right outside of San Diego. And she had a doctor, a holistic doctor. And she's like, you need to come to San Diego. And I'm going to take you to my holistic doctor. And I was like, Jill, I cannot get on a plane. You know, I can't do any of this by myself. And we ended up, I flew to San Diego I was in a wheelchair. She met me there at the airport, uh, picked me up, basically took total care of me for a week. And I went to see her doctor for four days straight. And he told me that there's no reason that your body should attack itself. And he was going to get to the root of what was actually wrong with me. So that first day I was there, I threw all of my drugs in the trash can. I never took another one. And besides a very rare Advil. I haven't taken a, a drug or a prescription drug since 2010. Um, he changed my diet, um, changed my lifestyle to try to avoid as much stress as possible. And from there, it was just a, an upward climb. Within, I would say by January or February, I was back on a horse, not um, not doing a whole lot more than walking, but at least I was on a horse. Um, I was walking around on my own. I could get dressed on my own. Um, so that was a long answer to your question, Michaela. But it was probably 10 months of not being able to do much at all before I found the holistic doctor and really made a change. I have absolute chills <laughs> hearing your story because that's amazing. <laughs> and like, I believe so wholeheartedly in holistic doctors and, you know, the right ones and how they can really get to the bottom of things. I personally have had a few problems and a holistic doctor is what got to the bottom of it. So did he ever tell you exactly what it was that was causing all of the problems? Yes, he decided um, 
going through, you know, his, his muscle testing that I actually had mono and my body couldn't fight off the mono because it was weak at the time because of stress and my adrenal glands were, you know, my adrenals are very low. So the mono actually got into my muscles and that's where my body started attacking it. So he did, you know, his holistic, I guess, medicine for, to treat the mono, to treat my adrenal system, um, reduce stress in my life. Um, he took me off gluten, dairy, sugar, and soda. Um, I could still have red wine, so I figured I could survive. Um, I haven't had to, I haven't had any, I haven't had a soda since December, 2010. Now, in the last year or two, I've gotten a lot more lax on the gluten because it's not a bit as big a deal um, to my body now as it used to be. But I still try to eat um, as healthy as possible. Now, when you're on the road, it's it's very difficult, and sometimes I do not feel as good. But it's been, I mean, the last 10 years of going to see him, it hasn't always been a, you know, a smooth ride. I've had um, relapses where I haven't felt as well. Um, most of it is, I don't want to say self-induced, but really self-induced. If I start worrying about, oh, I don't think I feel very good or I'm not feeling, I feel weak. I almost can talk myself into, oh my God, there's something wrong where I have to really step back, um, reassess what's going on, um, take a deep breath, not stress about stuff, which is very hard owning your own business. Um, I've learned to listen to my body. If I feel tired, I, I stay in the house and rest and I don't feel guilty about it. Um, I used, I used to would never do that, but I really don't push myself um, physically anymore. If I don't feel good one day, I just accept it as part of who I am and, and slow down for a little bit. Well, like you said earlier, like you had to make lifestyle changes to fit your current lifestyle, but you were also able to adjust those lifestyle per choices by, you know, seeing the right doctor and, you know, doing the things that you needed to do to get healthy. And, um, I, I remember the first time you saddled a horse and that was a huge win because that was after they had told you you're never going to ride again. Well, then she got on a horse and then they said, you're never going to lift more than five pounds. Well, then she threw a saddle over a horse and it was like, no, I'm going to do these things, but you had to find the right support system to get you there. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't have done it without, without so many people, you, my husband, mainly for being understanding of, of the situation. And sometimes he would, you know, be out in the barn and be so used to everything I do. He'd be like, Oh, go saddle this horse and this horse and that horse. And, and I'd be like, why are you being mean to me? You know, I can't do that. Why, why? And he's like, he'd forget that I couldn't do it. It wasn't that he was trying to make me feel bad for not being able to, but then I got to where I just, you know, started brushing all the horses. I go through and I brush them all. So then they were ready to be saddled. And there were some days that brushing them was difficult, but I just tried to, you know, push myself that way every day, do a little bit more. And even now, some days it's hard to saddle. I mean, some days it's really easy and other days. My show saddle, especially, it's heavy. I'm glad my horse is only 14.3. <laughs> I bet you're really loving those rainer heights right now. <laughs> I do love them. And it's, you know, sometimes hard to keep in perspective that my body only allows me to do so much. Even though I'm getting a lot out of it, I still have things, you know, that aren't as easy. I 
joke with my husband all the time that the thing that's made me the healthiest is having the Rainers. Because I went on a, I got back into Chopin in 2012. So it had been almost two years after I was um, originally diagnosed. And I did. You were in 2011. You were 11. You showed Faith at the World Show and I showed Bubba. Oh, I did in the showmanship. It was the following year I did The Pleasure. And then I didn't show again. I had a horse that I won the world on in 2014. And then I quit showing. I was really burned out. So I didn't do anything with the horses from 2014 until um, October of 2018. That's when I bought my Rainer. And we were actually looking for a Rainer for my husband because he said he wanted to have a Rainer and do something different. And we went shopping for him. I was like, well, I think I want a Rainer. And he's like, I thought you were done with horses. You you haven't wanted a horse in years. Are you sure? And I was like, yes. (laughs) Happened to find the horse I have now that I've been showing. I just love him. But we found him. It was uh, October 30th of 2018. Not that I remember the date exactly. But... (laughs) I had to have him and it was probably the thing maybe of self-healing that everyone, everyone like emotionally, you have to have something to live for and something that you have goals for and something that really um, sets you on fire and that you're passionate about. And I think for me, that was always horses, but I kind of lost it there for a while. And when I rode Joey that one day, it just totally rekindled that oh my gosh, I I miss this so much. I want to have a horse again. I just want to have fun. I didn't care if I showed, if I did anything. I just wanted to have that particular horse and and just enjoy him. And from that point on, I think my attitude was better, um, which made my health better. I've gotten stronger. I've been, you know, goal-driven again. There's things I want to do. So it makes me want to get out of bed and eat right and do everything possible. So I'll be strong enough to ride and show him. And when I first got him, I was always, I had tried to go to the gym and work out, which I think was kind of a double-edged sword. I did get a little bit stronger, but I also lost a lot of um, flexibility and movement. Like my range of motion was very much um, like steps, stifened when I would lift weights, like my, my muscles shortened a lot. So I was very inflexible. It was very hard to like squat or, you know, do lunges, things that were easy for other people. I really, really struggled with. And when I got Joey, I could not squat down and put on like polo wraps or leg gear. I would have to like sit on a stool or actually get almost down on the ground and then fight myself back up. And after I got him, I just every day would try to squat like a little bit on one leg or a little bit more than I did the day before. And I'd always have to use my hands on the ground to get up. And I didn't really set a goal to, hey, I'm just going to reach down, put my polo wraps on and stand up and not even think about it. But after about three months of having him, I was doing that. And one day Wes walked in and he goes, do you realize you just put on your polo wraps? I'm like, oh yeah, I do that all the time now. But it was just something that having Joey gave me a different way to use my muscles and use my body without really thinking about it. And it really, it's really improved my, my range of motion greatly. 
Well, I'm pretty sure that horses are just the best medicine out there anyway. Even though you said that you gave them up for a little while, getting back into them is just like, I know going out and riding a horse can just turn a bad day into a good day. So I'm sure dealing with what you're dealing with, it was just the ultimate mood booster. So you said about your goals, what are your upcoming goals and how are you working towards them, you know, while trying to stay healthy and stay within a new lifestyle? You know, I haven't set any specific course goal, like, oh my gosh, I want to win this or win that. I mean, mainly the goals I've set with Joey, <laughs> number one was just to mark a 70. After I showed him a couple times, I mean, the raining is so difficult. And there are so many things that go, that go bad. I spent, I mean, my first five or six shows, I don't know, I scored 65, 66, 67, because I would miss a lead change, or I'd change earlier. I'd trot out of a rollback, or I'd back, or I'd back in the middle. I didn't know you couldn't back more than four steps. They give you a zero for that stuff. I mean, just a huge learning curve with a new event. And I just really wanted to ride him and have fun. I did not care. I really didn't care my score. You know, I, of course I wanted to do well because I'm competitive and you don't want to be embarrassing. But at the same time, I was just having fun. And if I zeroed, I was in just as good a mood as, as the day I marked my first 70. You know, I was just having a good time. And now um, I do have Joey qualified for the Rookie of the Year that's at the Paturity. I will do that in November. Um, again, my goal is just to have have a good ride. I didn't buy him for to be the greatest reigning horse on the planet. <laughs> I bought him to be my greatest reigning horse. Um, I win every day I get to go out and just spend time with him and ride him. I, I have just as much fun riding here at home as I do at the shows. So going into the reigning a little bit, um, you were in the rookie, the top five for the rookie shootout at the NRBC, and that was a Yellowstone sponsored event. And you had a really sweet belt buckle. And that was you, when we talked during the event, you said it was one of the coolest things you ever got to participate in. It was, um, it was for many reasons. Um, I've kind of set that up as like, everyone's like, are you going to try for this shootout? And I'm like, there's no way I can make this shootout. I'm like, Joey is a nice little horse, but there's some rookies on some extremely nice horses that'll mark 73s and 74s all day long. And I would call Joey a solid 71 horse if I stay out of the penalty box. So I knew that there's a ton of nice horses out there. So for me to think I'm going to go out there and mark a 74 on Joey is totally unrealistic. I have to go out and, you know, show the horse I have and be happy with our accomplishments and that I'm set, I'm meeting the goals that we set for ourselves, you know, cleanly changes, good pattern placement, you know, just enjoying it. So the first day at Tulsa, there was, I believe 84 in the rookie class. And <laughs> he and I had our, our best run that we've ever had. And I was like bawling at the end of it. And poor Adam who's coaching me. He's like, my God, you, what are you crying for? You were good. And I was like, I know I wanted to quit halfway through before something went bad because we were doing so good. <laughs> I didn't even want to do my last stop because, I mean, everything I struggled with, uh, Joey gets really nervous in the middle of the arena, not so much in the turns. When you go to turn, he gets extremely lazy. But then when you go to circle, he gets extremely worried in the middle. So he wants to change leads early or 
charge through the center. You know, we've we've had to work on that a lot. He had some really some really bad habits when I got him. So when I got, you know, through the middle and everything and I got him turned, I was like, my gosh, this is awesome. So that run I marked a 71 and a half, which was my highest run ever. And I was so excited. And I ended up, I was second that day. So the second day we showed, I think we had two days in between and then we had to show again. There was 132 in the class that day and they only took the top five composite. So I'm like, oh my gosh, can you imagine having two, two runs and then you make the top five? I mean, that's just unheard of. And I tried not to think about it, but it was in the back of my head. I was like, oh, that'd be so cool if I could do that. So we just went out there with the goal of have the same run you had the day before. And I think the second day I marked a 70 and a half. It wasn't as good a run, but still, um, I ended up maybe fourth or fifth that day. So for the composite, we made the top five for the shootout, which I could not believe I did. And then um, that was in the big, the big pin before the finals. <laughs> and, uh, for someone who's shown their whole life, I got a little nervous and I thought I was running with the wind. And when I watched the video, I was just kind of like loping around <laughs> and we had trouble. Uh, I think we hung, hung high lead. Uh, and we did something else. We had trouble with one of our rollbacks. He almost froze up. So not as not a clean run by no means, but it was just fun to be out there. And it was very cool to see everything that Paramount had given to the rookies because we really are, I mean, we're the beginners and they gave away so many things. I got um, a back on track sheet, a buckle, and it has a beautiful buckle, a leather halter. I mean, just a whole bunch of random things that, I can take away from that and be like, Hey, look what I got, which is always, I mean, it's fun. You don't set out to win, <laughs> win random prizes, but it is fun when you do. I think they even gave a life-size horse to the winner, which I was like, that's cool. But what do you do with a life-size horse? How do you get it home? Like you would have to like find a slot on a trailer just to get it back to your house. Oh, they did. It was one of those great, big, huge plastic horses. And I had vowed that if I wanted, it was going to sit in my office. <laughs> it was it's one of those prizes that's like the most random thing, but also something you don't have. Definitely something you would never win. <laughs> so shortly after the NRBZ, you went to a horse show in Ardemore and you won again. So I think it's safe <laughs> to say that your journey to the show pen might have been a little rough at the beginning with your 65s and 6s and but now you're consistently putting down these really great scores for the rookie division yes at Ardmore um we had another really great first day second day we had some problems we won't talk about that <laughs> but it is getting um you know, from years of doing patterns, I always feel like the pattern part, you know, I can remember the pattern. I know where the center is. I can usually find the center pretty easily. I don't think about that stuff. It's just staying out of his way on the other stuff. And right now it's more of a mental game with Joey because he is, he's a very odd horse in the fact that he does get extremely dull in his spins. Like I have to kick him so hard, which Adam laughs because he's like, you physically can't kick him that hard. So... <laughs> And Joey knows that I can't kick him that hard. So he takes advantage of it. But then he's so touchy-feely in his circles. So <laughs> it's a hard balance to know how sharp a spur or because I'm going to sacrifice one place or the other. 
So trying to find that balance with them, you know, some days it works and we can just mark that zero and other days it blows up in our face, but <laughs> it's definitely getting more consistent. And I would love to have another 71 and a half at the fraternity. That would be awesome. It's coming up soon. Um, but outside of Joey, I, I joke with Dana and Wes because they have become uh, Rainer collectors and like they went from like <laughs> zero horses three years ago to like 10. Is that the number? Um, now? I think we only have seven and a half. Seven and a half. I'm so, well, you sold one. So I, yeah, would, you... I would have to count for sure. But yes, I have Joey. And then uh, my husband bought a horse for himself to show. And then last uh, winter, I bought a derby horse for myself that I'll start showing next year. Um, his name is Johnny. He's a very cool horse. I'm excited to show him because he is the same horse in the pen as outside of the pen. And I call him my little check collector because every show he goes to, he wins money. I mean, the judges love him. He's, um, he's just very consistent and does his job and brings home a check every show. So I'm excited to start showing him. Um, I'm not sure if I'll show Joey next year or not. I might just keep him at home to ride around and enjoy here. I mean, he's, he's done so much for me. He doesn't need to get hauled down the road. Um, and then we bought a three-year-old that'll be showing at the fraternity. Um, my husband bought a two-year-old and we bought a yearling. <laughs> I, I kind of say we have one of every age because you need, you need to have variety. They are addictive. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you didn't mention Randy by name, but you bought him at the fraternity last year. And he was actually on the cover of Horse and Rider with Dana. You were our um, spring cover. Yes, I tried to steal him from my husband, and I still do. He is the sweetest horse I think we've ever had in the barn. And he's very cute, and he's turning out to be a really fun horse. I think um, my husband will show him in some derbies um, next year. And he's he's going to be a lot of fun to watch because he's only going to be five. So he has a long future. Well, he definitely made a pretty little cover. When Nicole got back with all the photos that she was <laughs> taking, I was like, oh, my gosh, these are so amazing between Dana and the horse and the shadows and everything. I was like, this is an amazing cover. <laughs> we did those um, relatively fast. <laughs> And Randy had just arrived at the house, so we had no idea how he would act. He literally was gilded right before the fraternity. So I'm like, so he's basically a stud, and we're out here in the wide open. <laughs> and he loved it. He was such a great boy. He really is. And, like, um, I just remember I wasn't actually at your house for Horse and Rider. I happened to be laying over to visit with you guys because I lived at your house and I'm like close with you guys, obviously. And I just wanted to spend time with you. And I was like, well, you know what? We really need a spring cover and um, let's see what we have. And so Dana and I literally just pulled out Randy and got him ready and threw some clothing on Dana. And we were just like, it could go great or it could go really bad. Um, and Wes was like a little, I, I don't really want to just yet because he just no. like literally just got it. Like literally he got just, him. <laughs> We're doing yeah. a whole photo shoot with him. He's like, what is going on? Yeah, oh, so. We're just taking pictures. <laughs> don't worry. Mind your own business. It'll be fine. <laughs> we get very possessive about our rainers, which is funny because 
I don't know, for some reason, the whole time we've been married 18 years and we've always had his and her horses. They're always in one name or the other. We never have a joint owned horse. And so this last one that we bought, we've really been arguing about whose horse she's going to be. <laughs> so he was, you know, that was his horse. So he was very, and I'm possessive about mine too. So... <laughs> I just, his face was so funny because he just like walks into the barn and we have Randy looking like he's getting ready to show. And he's just like, what is going on? I've had this horse for like 24 hours. We did. We had just got him home. <laughs> but it turned out really good. Did I love him. All right. So you've kind of talked about what you're doing in the future, what your plans are. And and um, we've talked about your reigning addiction and collection. And I swear it gets bigger every week I hear from Dana and she's like oh I bought another horse I bought another horse and I'm just like how what how where are you putting these horses because I've been in that barn and you're gonna run out of room uh, soon the barn is full it is <laughs> but we we might sell one you know to buy like three more that seems to be we might not it, it's our new retirement plan I don't know if it's the best one but um you only live once and we're enjoying it. So, you know, my husband, we have a very stressful business and it's growing um, like crazy, which just causes more and more stress. And we have, you know, five people that work for us that, you know, whose families depend on us for their, their livelihood. And it, it is a lot of responsibility um, to own your own business and the horses for us. Um, we get to blend our business because we, we have a hay business. So definitely that goes back to all of our horse connections, but it's, the horses are our, our release, our, our stress relievers, our relaxation. Um, we get to do it for fun now. It's not a business. Um, my husband doesn't really train for the public anymore. I'm just riding our own. So it's, um, it's our time to go out to the barn and just relax and, and enjoy the horses. Oh, you talked about how you only live once. That kind of became your motto once you... Um, realize that like you don't have to live for mediocre you can you can do all the things that you want to do in your life span but um, what you know I'm sure you're not the only person out there and possibly even listening to this podcast that have struggled with health and being able to do the things you do what would your advice be to somebody who might be in the situation you were in 10 years ago what would you say to yourself now you know back then oh definitely um, YOLO that is my my life motto and Goya, which is get off your assets. But that is, that is the true, that is my true motto right there. Because I could sit around in the house and I could feel sorry for myself about things that I can't do or, you know, things that I used to do. And I think anyone who is healthy and takes their health for granted and then is, you know, hit with whether it's cancer or an autoimmune diagnosis or, you know, there's a time where I feel like it, it is okay to, to sulk and feel sorry for yourself, but there's also a time to Goya and <laughs> buck up. And your attitude is so huge to your healing, probably more so than anything you can do. And I realize that more um, when I've had Joey in my life, because he definitely has changed my attitude like a hundred percent where every day I'm like, okay, I don't feel like I don't feel like doing this. Oh, but I feel like going to ride Joey. So, <laughs> you know, you just have to check your attitude, not give up and don't accept um, 
answers from doctors. I mean, there's a lot of great doctors out there, but there's also a lot of doctors that just um, go through the motions. And I think if you get an answer and you know it's not right and you feel like, you know, there's something else for you, I mean, check out a, a holistic path or a different doctor. Don't just take one person's opinion of what you can and can't do. Only you yourself can set those parameters for yourself. And if you want to do something, then get up and do it. I feel like I needed that inspiration for today. Like that was very motivating. And I hope that our audience takes away with it what I just did because I'm like, yes, I'm a I need to go out and do things. <laughs> well, there's always people. I mean, there are pe always people that have, you know, a worse condition or, you know, when I look at Amberly that's in a wheelchair, I'm like, I have no excuses not to do anything. I mean, she does way more than I do now. And I have legs. I mean, I know one time I didn't. So, I mean, there's just so many people out there that you can look to that just don't, don't accept no for an answer and just keep going. And some days you might not feel like it, but you know, tomorrow I might feel like conquering the world. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate you telling your story and hopefully inspiring somebody who's going through something similar or just feeling like they're stuck in a spot that they don't want to be to, to keep on going because it, it can get better. And you're, you're proof of that. So thank you. Bye, Arena. <laughs> that's, that's Dana's um, <laughs> response to everything. Don't feel good. Bye, Arena. <laughs> you're bored. Bye, Arena. <laughs> well, I, I um, you, you should probably talk to the NRHA about some marketing because I feel like they're missing out on something. <laughs> that should be their new motto. Buy a Rainer. <laughs> I always joke um, before we sign off, I always joke that Dana is NRHA super fan. Um, I used to be the managing editor of the NRHA Rainer for a while. And I remember when I introduced Dana to some of the staff at the NRHA and I was like, this is the NRHA super fan. Like she can tell you everything <laughs> that's happening at the fraternity. She can tell you what she went to the, um, to the, what was it? The, the college judging contest. And you oh, were yes, like, I scribed. you scribed so that you could <laughs> learn more. I mean, she legitimately is NRHA super fan. And so I was joking and with the staff and I was like if you don't know something like just ask Dana because she probably knows because she's just <laughs> been keeping up on everything well and that does go back to just you know finding something that you really enjoy and that you're really passionate about it doesn't matter if it's raining or a barrel racing or I mean motocross it's just if you find something you know in you that makes you want to get up in the morning that's that's what it's all about awesome well thank you so much for for taking time to talk with us, even though you had to do it because you're one of my best friends. Um, <laughs> we still really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning into the ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow horse and rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.